we go. <laughs> Hello everyone, once again, welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you are joining us today on this Friday here in Tucson, Arizona. Reason for Hope is a uh, hour-long live broadcast guided uh, for the most part by your questions on the Bible. So if you have questions on the Bible, on your heart and mind, could be a verse or passage of scripture that has uh, maybe confused you or you'd like expounded upon, maybe something even you're going through in your own life, uh, you'd like to honor the Lord and you're not quite sure how to do that, you'd like a biblical perspective, that's another way to uh, approach this show as well. And maybe Christianity as a whole, perhaps um, even other worldviews and other religions and any honest question you have, as long as you know that the Bible is the source uh, of the answers for us here on Reason for Hope. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be your host today and fielding all the questions as they come on in through those multiple platforms. So like I say, I'll be watching them and I'll be going through those in a moment for you in case it's your first time and finding your way around. With us today, Pastor Scott Richards, who's hey, a everybody. senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing? Fantastic. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's been an awesome day. I just want to say that my right hand man, protege, all around good guy, Sean Richards successfully navigated his first official uh, officiating of a wedding today. Yeah. It was quite a moment for the proud people to watch. I got to be in the uh, booth. An, an individual who's been called the baby Bible answer man at times too. Oh, <laughs> so equal baby. All, 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 the, uh, all the associated relatives and uh, places hither and yon are, are very proud of you as well. Aww. And nobody noticed I was wearing Dr. Strange socks. <laughs> I did. No, I didn't. That's not true. <laughs> also with a no Sean Richards. wonder had that mystic feel. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Sean Richards, as, right as we shared. Oh, you still got them on? Nice. Yeah, how was that? The, the, the couple in question were um, uh, your, the student minister among many other things here, and there were a couple of students from that um, today, so that's got to be special. Yeah, the bride uh, was a uh, longtime attendee when I was still teaching, well, I still am, but exclusively teaching the junior high ministry, and uh, her and her sister stuck around in our church when I started making anime references, okay. and uh, we still hang out on those terms, developed a good relationship, and it was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, it can be kind of emotional. We see people grow up and we get to marry them and, and minister in, that, in those ways. It's kind of surreal. What are these emotions you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to talk Easy more about spark. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. I'm the, I'm the emotions guy. Well, yeah. as I mentioned, the reason for hope, it's a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona is where we're broadcasting from. As I mentioned as well, it's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, where Scott Richards right here is the senior pastor and has been for what, 25 years or more than that now? More than that. Is it? 30 Over 30. Years? Over 30. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, like yeah. This church, right? Yeah. What? 29 years, this church. Oh, yeah. That's 29, right. oh, Overall pastoring, building. much longer. I know you guys started in a, in a hotel and it very quickly outgrew and moved here and took over more buildings and next world domination or something but anyway here, <laughs> yes yes if you are uh, here in uh, resistance is futile that's, that's what right. we say to our fellow tenants here in the uh, the, the, the building that's right we do <laughs> yeah. lock those doors yeah um yeah so if you're in the tucson area if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship you're more than welcome to come check us out we're near prince and i-10 on the west side of the freeway pretty convenient location um, but uh, our website is calvarychristianfellowship.com. You're also welcome, of course, to go check that out as well. There's lots of events going on and Bible studies and support groups and all kinds of things. And of course, Sunday morning services and a Wednesday evening service. 
So anyway, while you're at the website, just uh, don't be a stranger, just have a click around and see what's going on. But if you go to that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. Whenever we're live, we stream to that page. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church. If you type that into your address bar, ccftucson.online.church, then you can watch us live. There's a schedule of upcoming events and a countdown to um, our next show. But when we're live, like we are right now, you'll see the video, you can sign in with a username of your choice. And that's one way that you can get your question to us. Just write your question in the chat function and I will be in there with you and receiving those questions and throw them at these uh, these uh, lovely gentlemen to my right. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's safe enough. <laughs> Just, yeah. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're live there, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. But if you put your question in the chat box, I will also also be uh, monitoring that as well. We have an app for your mobile device. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo, that's our app. You can download that on your mobile device. If you have a Roku TV or stick or you know something with the Roku enabled, you can uh, find us our channel there as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that in your channel store and add us as a channel. You can watch us on your big screen. And the same with Apple TV. We have a channel there as well because we're just fancy like that. Uh, we're on YouTube. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube. A Reason for Hope. And that's a great place to go for archives as well if you missed a show or want to even watch one again. If you go to that live tab, anytime you've been live, it will archive there. And of course, we are live there as well. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click on the notification bell. That helps us grow, grow our ministry and also we'll give you a little, uh, a little reminder when we're live so you won't have to miss anything. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. If you're on Twitter yourself, you can... Um, add him, follow along with him. Scott R4H is his handle. That's at Scott R4H, letter R, number four, letter H. And he posts highlights from the show and a commentary on like world events and news events as it pertains to end times and uh, biblical prophecy and that kind of thing. And also some funnies and uh, just stuff, shenanigans and tomfoolery and the, all the that's things. That's what we're known for. That's yes. what we're known for. That's yeah. what we're famous for, tomfoolery. Um, so yeah. Pastor Scott's on Twitter, Scott Alpha-H, follow along there. We're on Rumble as well, A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. Um, if you're on Rumble, uh, we're not live there, but uh, we post um, uh, videos, archives, and um, some short videos and things like that as well. And last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out with letters at gmail.com. If you're joining us on the radio, Reach Radio, or one of the other radio affiliates, um, you are very welcome and we're glad that you're listening to us but you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded so it's friday today i think you're listening to thursdays uh, but use that email address questionsforhope at gmail.com and we will get to that question on our next show and whatever platform you join us on we're very glad you're there once again send your questions in get them in early and we can try and uh, parcel out the time to get through them all and we are very grateful for your question if it's an honest question it's a great question send it on in I'm sure if you have a question on your heart, there's many people that have the same question. So we appreciate those. And again, it helps create our content. And we just go along with whatever question comes in. That's what we're all about. So, well, should we pray? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sean, would you like to today? As soon as you're just a bon bona fide minister now. Yes. Memorials, weddings. Yes, you're bona fide. <laughs> Suitor. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Dad, thank you. We had the chance to serve you today. 
want to ask that you would continue to equip us for what you've called us to, whether it's receiving your word or relating it, allow it to be an accurate representation of your heart and an edifying experience for those listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, anything to confess? Well, <laughs> lots to confess, I guess. Uh, but uh, just a uh, quick wrap-up of uh, what's going on. There's some interesting things that are brewing in Israel as far as uh, things perhaps uh, igniting on the border of Israel and Lebanon now. Uh, there have been a number of skirmishes that have taken place with so-called Lebanese civilians, read Hezbollah terrorists, dressed up like Lebanese civilians, and IDF forces, even exchange of gunfire has gone on there. It's also been determined that a roadside bomb that was placed uh, in a, a site that Sean and I have been to a couple of times, the uh, road through Megiddo, uh, the site that was there, a roadside bomb did go off there, and the individual who planted it uh, was uh, nabbed uh, by uh, the uh, Israeli authorities. It turns out he is from Lebanon as well. Hmm. So uh, there is a possibility that the uh, latest and greatest strategy of uh, the terrorists surrounding Israel is going to be infiltration and planting roadside bombs. So that is something definitely to be praying about as far as a response uh, is uh, concerned. Uh, interesting question was uh, asked uh, me about the uh, veritable plethora, I guess, to use the words of the famous broadcaster Howard Cosell, a veritable plethora of fires that are burning uh, north of the Canadian border. Uh, a cluster of them so intense, the uh, prevailing winds have blown into New York City. Maybe you've seen some of the pictures that seem almost absolutely apocalyptic of uh, the amount of uh, red smoke uh, that has engulfed New York City and environs around there. Uh, a person asked me uh, if this was the fulfillment of Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 on our Twitter feed. And uh, the scripture says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Uh, well, uh, let me reassure you uh, that although uh, the pictures of uh, New York with the, the incredibly dense uh, reddish smoke engulfing the city, Definitely looked apocalyptic. I think on our Twitter feed, I made a comment about the picture uh, saying, this is a good day in the Great Tribulation, uh, just for future reference. But uh, the idea of seeing a headline like this, well, we see this extraordinary smoke going on and, and so forth, and is this prophetically significant oh boy. in some way? Is this God uh, somehow judging Canada for some of the uh, governmental decisions that they made about closing churches during the pandemic, all these kind of theories about this sort of thing. Well, I think we have to uh, go back to the scripture itself. Uh, it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements, that is the, the ABCs, the things that control the universe, the natural laws we rely upon each and every day, will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So a uh, closer examination of that particular prophecy indicates that the uh, kind of conflagration that is portrayed here is universal. Uh, it's, it's not uh, just local, as in Canada and uh, going over the border into New York. Uh, it is uh, not just global, it is absolutely universal. And what this uh, speaks to 
is that uh, when this process takes place, we are to be looking, uh, and it says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manners of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, by which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So uh, just to answer that question, no, this isn't about the fires in Canada. This is about something that is going to be far more spectacular and far more universal. God is literally going to recreate the universe in such a way that the after effects of sin and death will be no, no longer a part of it. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, Revelation describes the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, coming down from God, from heaven. Uh, some people believe it will even be suspended between heaven and earth uh, in the uh, new way, the new dynamic of the uh, new uh, existence that God is going to have us to enjoy forever. So that's what the focus is there. And just a, a, a word of caution, uh, it's great uh, to look at life through the lens of the possibility that Jesus could come at any time. And it's very good uh, to know a number of the predictions that Jesus made about these times. Read Matthew chapter 24, great place to start for this. Uh, and, uh, and to uh, pay attention accordingly. Uh, you know, Jesus, when you see these things begin to happen in Luke chapter 21, look up for your salvation draws near. But that doesn't mean that everything that happens is prophetically significant just because it's a natural disaster. In fact, uh, there's uh, reports now that one of the reasons that there is an unprecedented amount of fires in Canada is the same reason there have been unprecedented fires in California. Uh, a policy was changed about uh, cutting uh, back old-growth forests, uh, making sure that there wasn't a whole bunch of undergrowth that had just been allowed to grow wild. There were those who said, well, you know, nature knows best, and so we're just going to let nature do its thing, which is a philosophical decision about as, as far as land management goes. The problem is if you don't cut back on these sort of things, fires tend to do well when they've got a lot of undergrowth to feed on, and uh, it's very difficult to control them. And so since that has been Canada's policy for the better part of a few decades, uh, it's kind of the bill's coming due, if you will. It's very difficult to manage fires when you don't deal with the undergrowth, when you don't cut back, say, on the old growth, the dead trees, and so on. Uh, so um, that, I think, is probably the more rational explanation for why uh, the uh, situation in New York with all the smoke and et cetera and what's going on in Canada is happening right now. It's summer, things dry out, uh, lightning strikes begin to happen, uh, fires tend to go on, arsonists don't help that equation either. Mm -hmm. I speak as someone that lived with uh, the uh, fire season in California, it happened every year, uh, and uh, the Santa Ana winds would blow, things would dry out, yeah. uh, all that chaparral uh, out there just uh, like tinder, and uh, either an accident like for instance, the Southern California Edison uh, facility that sparked a fire that just did incredible damage, mm -hmm. including burning down my own brother's apartment building uh, in Ventura. Uh, those sort of things would happen every year. Uh, just doesn't take much to get those things going. Right. But that doesn't mean it's a sign of the end days mm -hmm. and the last times. So gotcha. uh, just we have to be careful with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, heads up, as far as I can see, we didn't go live on Facebook. Um, so obviously, if you're trying to join us on Facebook, I'm it's up, yeah. speaking to you. Are you guys getting it? Yeah, getting, well, it, getting it right now. It might just be me. Um, I'll yeah. keep working yeah, on that. Our, our, uh, our viewers are giving us thumbs up, so I think, oh, okay. I think we're there. Well, I can't get it. I'll keep trying to get it on my laptop here, but um, if some questions come in before, so maybe you guys can 
let me know about that. But um, we have a question from Monique that uh, came in on paper. Do you guys remember paper? Look. It's analog. Yeah, it's analog. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very archaic. We do analog around. <laughs> we do. Yeah. If I remember how to read, it's handwritten. A question from Monique. Um, how accurate are the end times events in the Left Behind book series? Uh, we understand the characters are fictional, um, but I'm mostly interested in the timeline of them and also the events themselves. Thank you. So question from Monique. How yeah. accurate is the book series? Yeah, when it, bad. yeah, as far as things are concerned, <laughs> when it comes to an understanding of the end times, there's three general perspectives that people can take on any event whatsoever. Is it primarily taking place in the past, the present, or the future? The Left Behind series, and we would agree with Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins' presentation of the tribulation period as a future event. The futurist position or the dispensationalist view as some people call it is largely the method of interpretation that the left behind books are viewed through and due to the fact that we agree with them obviously we're not going to critique it too much. Uh, when it comes to obviously certain issues that they took creative license on it wasn't in order to expand or go beyond scripture but it was dealing with those areas that are negotiable. For instance, in the Glorious Appearing episode, the 12th book, or 11th book of the series, rather, when the second coming takes place and then Satan's cast into the uh, pit for a thousand years, there's a reference to the Nephilim and that Satan was the cause of the storm that troubled the disciples and other things that we wouldn't say I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but I'd personally disagree. Right. Uh, there was also, in the first Left Behind book, the decision that was made that, for instance, the clothes and tooth fillings and all those other uh, sort of internal surgeries, a pacemaker was left behind uh, while their physical bodies just dissipated. Creepy. And there was also an, a, a factor went up. Yes, when that, when indeed. That happened, yeah. yeah, and there was also a decision regarding the age of accountability that children who were below a certain age were all taken in the rapture as well. And again, um, I personally would agree with the arguments that are made in favor of that, but because we don't have solid scripture on it, just be aware that yeah. was a, a creative license on their part to say, here's a view on a negotiable area. I'm just going to put it into the story because obviously if I didn't think that, I wouldn't put it into the story. So uh, to their credit, that's the perspective that they were came, uh, coming from, a futurist perspective. Uh, perspective that takes the events of Revelation as the primary sequence of events for the end times, considering Revelation 6 all the way through 19 is chronological and sequential uh, with uh, the plagues of Exodus also in comparison on how they would impact the environment. They also made careful points in some of their prequel novels to note that the rise of the Antichrist uh, came out of Romania. Uh, that, of course, is creative license on their part, too. But again, the decisions that they made on the side, nothing that we would say, uh, this is getting kind of a shack territory or the chosen. Yeah. There, there's real compromises going here that have consequences. Left Behind, to its credit, very well written, very well executed, a nice uh, futuristic drama set in that perspective of the end times. For your benefit, there are two other perspectives in the end times that we don't, you know, memory hole ourselves from or isolate ourselves from. Echo chamber, I think, is the word I'm looking for. Um, a present... Just, just because they're wrong, we're not, it doesn't mean we're aware of 
Right. <laughs> uh, the present position, uh, if someone were to write a left behind series on viewing the end times from a present perspective, or what we call idealism, it wouldn't be a book to begin with. It would be an understanding of the end times entirely as symbolic, that these are, you know, just cosmic and uh, artistic illustrations of just the general view of a battle going on between good and evil, that there would be, be like Star stuff. Wars or something like that. Yeah, that, that would be a more... Yeah. That would be an idealist yeah. perspective, yeah. and then of course, end times wouldn't happen because they don't believe that the end times, full sail, will take place in history. That everything that pertains to God's work in the world now is has been fulfilled yeah. uh, in history, and that uh, we're just now just kind of living in the present. And that if some disaster happens, they just say, "Well, uh, as we read in Revelation, you know, this is the the status, the theme, the ongoing conflict of good and evil until the Lord uh, ultimately makes things right." How that is, I don't know, because I'm not taking this text objectively. You can tell by my language there that I disagree with the position, but that would be another form of interpretation and one that we wouldn't consider a salvation issue. But if you press people who hold an idealist perspective far enough you might notice they've made some serious compromises on inspiration and on their uh, handling of other important passages that do, in fact, get into salvation territory, say, like salvation by grace through faith, the historical reality of the resurrection, and so forth. Uh, you hold their feet to the fire and note Jesus stated these things would happen. They have to dismiss it out of hand, and someone who dismisses the words of Jesus out of hand because of preconceived notions or commitments, yeah. not exactly a good place to be. The third perspective, we, have, we hold the future view, people who hold a present view. There's also people who hold a past view. This is what's called a preterist position, and, and there are uh, varying degrees of people who hold a preterist view, just like there are various degrees of people who hold a futurist view. There's the pre-trib, the post-trib, the mid-trib, the you know, pan-trib, and all that other stuff. People who hold a preterist view look at the end times from the lens of history. They believe, and this is the primary uh, method of interpretation, that Revelation is not the standing authority for the sequence and the fulfillment of the end times, but rather Matthew 24 holds precedent over the entirety of Revelation in the Old Testament. So when Jesus' words lay out this broad stroke summary of all nations hating you, handing you up to persecution, earthquakes, famines in various places and so forth, they'll deliver you up to kill you, then the end will come. They would use Matthew 24 and Jesus' layout and recaps, not as a layout, but as Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins would handle the book of Revelation, that Jesus' words are the sequence, not John's revelation. Now, to their credit, I'm always giving a thumbs up to someone who defers to Jesus on how to interpret the Bible, but I do think that in the ways that they handle, especially after the late 20 verses in that chapter, uh, they get into some pretty inconsistent territory with other passages that are likewise inspired by the Holy Spirit. When it comes to our understanding of the end times, though, we take Scripture as a whole, and that, of course, the perspective that answers the most questions satisfactorily in our minds would be similar to, not exactly the same, but similar to the way that the Left Behind novels present it, not because we think it's good artistic uh, 
presentation of the events, and therefore that's how I'm going to interpret the Bible. But if you take the time to study this perspective, you will find that they did their homework, that they handled Scripture soundly, and that when it comes to any issues, they took license. It wasn't in anything important. So with that said, uh, our thoughts on those things being accurate, I do think it is accurate that those were all treated as literal events and plagues. I do think it was accurate that they believe in a literal antichrist who would come as a literal politician in the future. Yeah. I do believe that it, they were accurate in their literal portrayal of Jesus's literal returning and literal thousand-year reign of Christ. And as you can see, I'm saying literal a lot because there are so many people who immense details on this. When it comes to it, though, understand that our understanding of eschatology in fancy terms or the end times is not a salvation issue. However, it can be a good metric of discernment in concluding, well, if that's how you handle these passages, what is your handling? Or are you consistent in handling other important passages the same way? Right. Uh, I would be much more willing to have a conversation with a preterist, especially a partial preterist, who believes, for instance, that the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD was the total fulfillment of the abomination of desolation. Most preterists don't say that we're living in the thousand-year reign or hold to the delusion of dominion theology, that uh, the thousand-year reign is just this broad strokes perspective of the church eventually taking over this world and that that kingdom will be when Christ returns just to kind of hand over the keys to us impacting this world for good. Um, there are people who are popular on the internet that propose those things. We're not two of them. So look these up, look the, up their claims, look up our claims when you ask for more specific things, but that would be my review at least of the Left Behind series, Preterist, idealist and futurist perspectives of the tribulation, past, present, and future. We hold to the future, so did they, and I think because I share that perspective, that lens of interpreting scripture, I think that they were accurate in that as well. Yeah, good. Yeah, excellent. So recommended then. Yeah, yeah. again, look yeah. it up. If they make a claim about scripture or they present some event or theme, like I said, the disappearing and so forth, there is artistic license. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that they misrepresented anything. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. Well, Monique, thank you for that question. Um, we have confirmed we're not live on Facebook. Something went wrong with our connection with them, but hopefully you found us on one of the other platforms, YouTube or website. So apologies for that. I'll be looking into that after the show, see what went wrong. Uh, question from Jacqueline. Thanks for joining us again and restating your question. I know you were with us yesterday. Is God limited to our prayers? This is a great question. Um, have not because you ask not. Or is everything that happens and doesn't happen a part of God's plan? So if we don't pray for something, it won't happen, or does it matter? Does prayer actually work? What is the deal with prayer? Well, prayer is extremely important. You know, I think of uh, how uh, when the people of Israel uh, decided that they wanted a king like all the other nations and came to Samuel, and Samuel was grieved about that. God said to Samuel, don't uh, grieve Samuel. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as being king over them. And Samuel then just basically broke down to them uh, what they could expect out of a king. He's going to tax you. I'm paraphrasing here. He's going to tax you into the Stone Age. He's going to take your kids away from you and make them his servants. And, and it's not going to be everything that you thought it was cracked up to be. Uh, you know, the people were kind of like, oh, man, maybe we made a big mistake. So that's the way it's going to be. But then he makes an interesting statement. He goes, far be it from me to sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. And I will continue to teach you the good and right way. In other words, Samuel looked at the, one of the most important things he could possibly do 
as any kind of leader for Israel as praying. Mm. Prayers really matter. Jesus said, ask and you'll be given what you ask for. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Uh, we're told to be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So does prayer really change things? Well, apparently prayer does change things, and God provides a number of different uh, visual examples of how prayer and interceding before God makes a difference when uh, the people of Israel were dealing uh, in the wilderness with a war against the Amalekites who were conducting sort of this terroristic take out the weak and infirmed and uh, try to discourage Israel policy against them. They had this battle and uh, Joshua was leading the forces. Moses was to be positioned on a hill overlooking the battle with his arms lifted to God. And as his arms were lifted to God, the people of Israel would prevail. But as he got tired, then the Amalekites would prevail. So Aaron and another man by the name of Hur came along and lifted up Moses' hands and kept them uh, lifted to God, and then Israel prevailed in the battle. Well, that tells me something. That tells me that that gesture of prayer that Moses was involved with, that intercession, made all the difference in the world. Uh, more things are accomplished by prayer than any of us could ever dream of. Now, does that mean that uh, if we don't pray, God's will isn't going to get done? Uh, well, uh, I think in my experience, I would go back to another example from the wilderness wanderings. Was God going to get the people of Israel into the promised land? Yes, because he promised that he would. Whether they were faithless or faithful, he was going to get them in. As we saw in the book of Numbers, they got to the edge of the land. They sent the scouts into the land. Uh, the uh, Aaron, uh, I should say, uh, Joshua and Caleb came back and said it's everything God said, it's land flowing with milk and honey. You know, they brought back these huge clusters of grapes so big they had to carry them back on these huge rods and so forth. But then the majority report came in. Oh, yeah, it's a land that devours its people. It's full of walled villages. We saw the Nephilim there, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. By the way, the Nephilim weren't wiped out in the flood of Noah. Apparently, they were still around doing business even during that age. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the, the people of Israel uh, said, uh, oh, you've just brought us out here to kill us. God has brought us out here because he wanted to kill our children here in the wilderness. And they were ready to kill Moses. Well, God intervenes, and uh, then uh, Moses drops the bad news because uh, you dishonored God and didn't believe he could take you into the land. Uh, you're going to be out here in the land for 40 years until everyone age 21 and over uh, passes away. Then your children, who you thought were going to die here, are going to enter the land. You won't. And they said, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're sorry. We're going to go in. We're going to take the land. Go, Don't try to take the land without God's help. Not going to happen. They tried anyway. They got routed, and the wilderness wandering was on. So could the people of Israel have gone straight into the land if they had believed God? Well, certainly they could have. Did they? No, they did not. They did not walk in faith. And so their decision to say yes or no to the promises of God as far as believing them uh, had a definite impact uh, upon their life. Did it change God's plan for the people of Israel, getting into the promised land, fulfilling the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Not a bit, but it did delay the process, if you will. And, and so when we pray and, uh, and uh, we, we come before the Lord, I, I think there's two um, truths we have to hold in tension. First of all, God sees the end from the beginning. Uh, he has never said oops once. Uh, when we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself, we are told. 
in the scripture. Uh, and so he's going to accomplish his good, acceptable, and perfect will. But in that control that God has over all things, he has built into this sovereignty the decision-making that we make to pray or not to pray, to believe God or not to believe God. And I believe that sometimes we can, if you will, delay the good things that God wants to do for us, maybe even deny some of the good things that God wants to do for us. In the case mm -hmm. of the uh, people who died in the wilderness, they just never entered in uh, by failing to pray. You know, uh, maybe the best way that, uh, that we can look at prayer is an illustration that I read earlier this week uh, from uh, Christian uh, Calvary pastor John Corson. Uh, he said, you know, that prayer in a lot of ways is kind of like having a, uh, uh, access to account, an account that is owned by a billionaire. But the access to the account requires uh, not just the signature of the billionaire on the check, but we have to co-sign it, if you will. That every time we pray, we co-sign that check mm -hmm. of what God is willing to do for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we write our own ticket with God or make demands on God. Yeah, the but we understand, has to sign the check first. Yeah, when we understand right. God's good and precious promises, and he is signed on the line saying, this is what I will do for you, then we can come before the Lord and remember that wonderful promise in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. The confidence we have before him is this. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the request which we have made of him in whatever we ask. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a caveat there. If we ask according to his will, right. he hears us. Uh, in other words, God isn't going to give us something, no matter how ardently we ask or how many uh, in Jesus' names we slap on the back of it as some kind of uh, mojo, some kind of magic, uh, you know, command open sesame, uh, if it's something that's going to be really destructive in our lives or contrary to God's will for our lives, or contrary to his revealed will within the Scripture. So this is what I have found. This has really helped me quite a bit. Uh, is that when I'm facing a situation, the first thing I want to do is I'm going to say, okay, Lord, give me wisdom in this situation to discern what your will is. Yeah. You know, does your word deal with this situation? And inevitably it does. If you, you say, oh, well, you know, I'm not a Bible expert and, you know, how can I know all these scriptures? Well, if you're in a situation where you don't know what God's will is in a particular set of circumstance, uh, do what we call the Proverbs challenge. Open the book of Proverbs anywhere you want to open it. Start reading. I guarantee you, within five minutes, you're going to come across some inescapably practical insights into what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, you can branch out from there. The more familiar we are with God's Word, the more we uh, take advantage of and understand God's good and precious promises, the more intelligently we can pray in prayer and align ourselves with His will. Now, I realize there's some people that come from Christian traditions will say, oh, well, that's just a cop-out. You're saying if it's your will, do this or that, but then, you know, if God doesn't come to you, oh, well, it just wasn't God's will. Well, I guess you could look at it that way, or you could look at it from the perspective of Jesus praying when the chips were down in the Garden of Gethsemane. How did he pray? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, notice Jesus voices to the Father what his desire is in that situation, that the cup might pass from him. But it was sandwiched with two appeals to the will of God. And so the Lord answered Jesus' prayer by strengthening him and giving him the power to go through the suffering of the cross, not taking the cup away, but giving him the wherewithal to take that cup, of, uh, the wrath of God that was due us for our sins, and fulfill his mission. Prayer, I think, works 
pretty much the same way in a lot of situations. I think if we <clears throat> don't know, finally, you know, well, I'm not sure there's really a scripture that really applies this particular situation, don't really know what I should do, here's what you do. Just say, Lord, here's the situation. Here's what I think uh, I'd love to see you do in this situation. Nevertheless, just like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You have the final say, and God is always going to answer those prayers. Anything you'd add to that? Yeah, just clarifying the partial quotation from James 1, you have not, you ask not, that's speaking of wisdom, the ability to make good decisions, not uh, getting a tangible and a miraculous intervention. So if we're seeking a personal relationship with God that impacts our life in a tangible way, we naturally defer to him and say, lead my heart in the way that doesn't dishonor you. Keep me not only from sin, but from foolishness, although the Proverbs challenge. Yeah. But be very careful in quoting like a third, a half, or even three quarters of a passage or even a point in Scripture when you're not really finding the conclusion you're asking yeah. for. Yeah, it. a great example of that would be, uh, you know, the, the famous passage that's quoted when someone's sick or some, by his stripes, we are healed, you know, and say, so Lord, it's your will to heal me now. I know that this is your promise. But you look at both Isaiah 53, you know, where the passage is first quoted, and in, in Peter's writings where he quotes it again, in both situations it has to do with God's healing of us from sin. Yeah. Not necessarily from physical malady. So, or, or in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 where judge not yeah. is quoted to us and saying you're not allowed to come to objective conclusions about my moral choices. Yeah. But then the passage immediately goes on to say, lest you be judged, right. for the measure you judge another, you'll be judged. And then two verses later goes on to note, after an illustration of that point, what? Do not cast your pearls before swine, nor give what is holy to the dogs. That requires making a judgment of who you're talking to. So either you've made nonsense of the passage, or you're reading nonsensically. So just be careful. It's with probably that. number two, though, in yeah. that, <laughs> that, that situation. So, But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I hope that helps. You know, pray... Uh, I guess maybe the bottom line is pray like your pray, your situation depends on it, but trust God as if it's completely in his hands because both are true at the same time. Yeah. And as Jacqueline asked, you know, is everything that happens and doesn't happen a part of God's plan? I mean, our, our free will and choices and God's sovereign plan, that is one of those things that we just can't quite comprehend how that could work together and does work together. Yeah, right? well, it is kind of above our pay grade in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, just to fatalistically say, like some theological constructs would say, that, uh, okay, God is sovereign. That means he's in control of every atom and molecule in the universe, and every decision is made by him. Well, you know, you follow that to its logical conclusion, and you've got God making, say, Cain a murderer right. uh, because uh, who resists his will? Yeah. Um, no, Cain had his choices, and his choices really mattered. Yeah. Uh, there was a free will decision that he made, and, and it had lasting consequences. Uh, you know, when when we uh, kind of overdo uh, the idea of God's sovereignty, and don't get me wrong, he is sovereign, and thing, all things are going to work out uh, according to his ultimate plan. But within that sovereignty, if you will, there is a, a uh, space that God has made for decisions. Otherwise, mm -hmm. why would Jesus look at Jerusalem and weep over it right. and say to them, if only you knew in this your day the things that make for, for your peace, but now they're hidden from your sight. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you had a choice. 
Uh, you made your choice, and now there's going to be consequences. Yeah. Why weep if you're like, well, you know, kind of knew this was all going to happen. If he did it, yeah. You know, there, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's all, and yeah, unfortunately, you'll run into some uh, stripes of Christians will say, well, God already decided it, and who are you, the pot, to uh, criticize the potter? Yeah. Yeah. You right. know, well, you know, that's not the nature of God that we see revealed in the scripture. Mm -hmm. That completely strips of any kind of compassion, any kind of mercy. Uh, any, any kind of involvement and investment in the lives of his people. Uh, so we want to have the full counsel of God on these things. You know, one concept that I think can help us sort of wrap our mind around all of this uh, that's been helpful to me, it's a partial answer anyway, is that uh, as far as God's foreknowledge goes, God knows everything that has happened. God knows everything that is happening. God knows everything that will happen before it happens. But God also has what uh, is called middle knowledge. It says God also knows everything that could happen. Mm. And it's that could happen where, you know, again, people of Israel on the edge of the wilderness and Jesus weeping over the city and, you know, all of these King things. King Zedekiah being told this is how you can avoid judgment, but knowing he rejected anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hezekiah praying that, that God would, uh, would spare him. God gave him 15 more years. Of course, in that 15 years, he gave birth to King Manasseh, who was the worst king Israel ever had. But, uh, you know, God told him, first of all, get your affairs in order. You're not going to live. He prayed earnestly and said, you know, have mercy on me, God. Sent Isaiah back and said, well, God's extended your life. Hmm. So I, I don't know what you do with that <laughs> if, you know, it's just all, well, God was just, you know, I mean, I, I, just, I, I just think people end up being too clever by half. Yeah. when they get into those sort of things. Right. God knows what he's doing. God sees the big picture. God has given us the, the, not only the capacity as human beings to make moral and spiritual choices, but we know from Scripture those moral and spiritual choices really do matter. And one day we'll be held accountable for that, and nobody will stand before God at judgment and say, well, you know, you just made me that way. Yeah. Um, you know, why are you judging me? Right. Well, I made you a vessel for wrath. Well, the whole vessel for wrath vessel for mercy thing that gets brought up in, in the book of Romans uh, really has to do with a choice that we make. Mm. You can be a vessel for mercy or a vessel for wrath. You can live your life as a picture of someone that receives God's forgiveness and reconciliation with him through putting your faith and trust in Jesus, inviting him into your heart, asking him to forgive your sins, becoming born again, to become a vessel for mercy. You, you use your life, this vessel that we have, this body, to portray that. We reflect the reality and love of God in this life. But if you say, well, shine on. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to live life my own way. Well, then you're going to become a vessel for wrath. People are going to look at you and go, ooh, man, that's kind of a cautionary tale. I'm not really sure I want to live my life that way. Right. So choice is ours. Yeah. But God set up the choices, and that doesn't mean in any way, shape, or form he's less in control of the ultimate outcomes. Within the ultimate outcome, God is working out. He also gives us the ability to have free choice and free will. And uh, as my third-year theology prophet at Talbot Seminary once said to me when I said, how do you reconcile free choice and, and, and God's sovereignty? He said, if the tension ever goes out of that issue for you, it means the spring's broken. Hmm. If, if that, you know, feel like you've got it all figured out, you don't, you yeah. know, so. Yeah, like you said, it's above our pay grade. Yeah. Good way to say yeah. it, yeah. Well, great question, Jacqueline. Thank you. Really good question. Really important issue. Hope that that helps you out and, and all our listeners as well. Uh, thanks for being part of the show today. A uh, question from Taylor. Uh, should I be embarrassed by charismania? And how can I minister truth 
to someone who a charismaniatic is ministering to, they seem to be reading a different book. So basically, I guess, Talon um, and uh, this charismaniatic has a mutual friend and he's ministering to his friend and, sh- oh, and sharing man, some man, things. I, that I know are, what it's yeah. like to be embarrassed by charismania. Yeah. So what, what is charismania? Charismania and, and obviously Talon's question, how can he minister to that person who's well, being fed the wrong kind of things, it sounds like. Yeah, to be as brief and to the point as possible, if you find someone who's abusive, distance yourself from them. If you find someone who's being abused, understand they're hurt and injured and need care and time to heal, which starts by distancing themselves from their abuser. Mm. So if someone's coming to you and a charismaniac, it, it's a not necessarily a derogatory term, but it is kind of a sort of term. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the idea of someone who makes and approaches scripture, God, anything referring to spirituality with their experience and their emotions as number one, final, first, and ultimate word. So regardless of what the Bible says, I don't care because I have this feeling, I had this experience, you just don't understand. Now, if you're talking to the source of that kind of information, only God can change that kind of heart because no matter what you try to reason with them. With, like someone who's actively teaching this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is no hope for that kind of individual short of a legitimate heart change. So that's not the kind of ministry you want to waste your time with. Nothing you say is going to mean anything. And trust me, you're going to find this kind of personality on every spiritual aisle. You'll have maniacs in uh, the atheistic community, maniacs in Muslim and in Hindu communities. They're not going to care. I have this experience. What matters to me is how I feel. We see this even in political activism. So just understand that. You have the abuser, then you have the abusee, which is your situation. The best way to minister to them, obviously it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of patience for them to unlearn these sort of things. But make sure that you show them, just like with the charismaniac saying, just look at me and how intense I am about everything. You can say, okay, look at how rational I'm approaching these things and don't let a single point that you ever make about anything in spirituality be made without chapter and verse. Because the only way to overcorrect from radical is sometimes going to be a sharp turn to the right, if you get the point. So make sure that the scripture is what you're telling them, that anything that you say isn't your speculation or opinion, that it's always given with a subtext of a Bible verse, that you're willing to go through that Bible verse in context and show them another way of approaching scripture that isn't going to leave them abused or, in this case, deceived, thus the illustration. Uh, In any other terms, again, there's a book titled Living Water by Chuck Smith who deals with this issue very eloquently. If you don't want to read through the 100-plus pages of that, you can read the one-and-a-half pages of 1 Corinthians 12-14 through because that tends to be where charismaniacs tend to abuse the most in terms of spiritual gifts. Let that be your framework in dealing with them and letting them ask and uh, get good answers to questions and make sure your good answers to questions are ones that always have a scriptured footnote. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, the old uh, line from Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, how can two walk together unless they be agreed, really comes into all of that. Um, you know, one thing that I discovered by watching Chuck Smith in action, dealing with all kinds of interesting characters that he would uh, speak to, especially after services, was he would tend to find one thing that he could agree with on this person, no matter how mm. out there they were, uh, and he would focus in on that. Uh, Talon, in this set of circumstances, the one thing that I think you will find that people in charismatic circles or even charismaniac circles would agree is the Bible's the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, you know, I, 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 
think people in that neck of the church would should be commended because they take that very seriously. Uh, they look at the promises of God and they say, man, I believe that. I want to live that. Uh, I want to experience that in my life. I want to taste and see that the Lord's good. And boy, I think that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful quality. The problem, as Sean mentioned, is that you can really easily take this desire to experience these things and have that be your GPS. I felt it. Everybody else seemed like they were into it. Everybody else was falling over when the guy was putting his hand on him or waving his coat at him. So I, I want to get in on that as well. Everybody else was going banana, banana, banana. And so I, by faith, I just made that my prayer language. Uh, you know, you, you know, okay, well, where in the scripture do you find that? Um, and maybe that's the best place to build that commonality is you know when you have teachable moments because sooner or later people that buy into these kind of hyper emotionalistic um, even almost presumption telling God his business I'm going to claim this and boy God's got to do it um, sooner or later it doesn't work and uh, when the bottom falls out if we can have a bridge built caring for these people showing compassion for them but also just saying hey you know we should uh, not despise prophecies but test all things hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil that's my point of view on all that and maybe when this person kind of calms down or uh, you know stops hyperventilating or, or something really negative happens in their life uh, that just shows the doctrinal uh, tree they were barking up just isn't the right one you know, you can come to them and say, well, you know, maybe, you know, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. God's mm. spirit does want to work among his people. He does work in spiritual gifts, but it's always decently and in order. Uh, it's always according to his word. And, you know, maybe you should check out, say, this book, Living Water, and, and see what you think. Uh, and, and then you've ministered to them. Tell them, patience, 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 yeah. you know. I mean, if it kind of drives you crazy being around someone like that, just say, well, you know, we're going to disagree on that. Let's talk about something else. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I hope that helps you out, Taylor. Um, we had a comment, not really a question, but coming from Omar. Apparently yeah. in the news, there was a, a crocodile that had a virgin birth. Did you yeah. guys see anything? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got the article right Anything here. in the Bible about uh, birth? Well, <laughs> first of all, it, it, not a virgin birth. Second, we'll clarify what well, that is. Well, actually it was in a sense. But it's not. This, <laughs> it's this process called parthenogenesis. And it's a very rare it's thing. easy for you to but say. But it does happen with reptiles and with sharks sometimes. Uh, the, uh, the problem with it is, is that uh, although I guess there's like a boa constrictor that uh, you know, uh, repeatedly reproduced in this way. It, it doesn't occur in animals that give live birth. That's the first important clarification on this. It's usually in creatures that lay eggs. But even mm -hmm. if it does, like with the boa and all that, other laying eggs and, and, and some invertebrate animals and things like that, uh, the one thing you discover is is that uh, uh, the offspring of this process is like a clone, yeah, mm -hmm. and it always is a female uh, because it shares the genetic, complete genetic endowment of the mama. It doesn't have any other genetic material to work with, so because it's essentially that and uh, the reason I point that out is some people will say oh well you know uh, maybe uh, that's what happened with uh, Jesus you know, we have a scientific explanation it was parthenogenesis you know just like uh, the lizards and the frogs and things like that well thanks Andy uh, Stanley but let's but, make some clarifications here but but it couldn't have been why because if somehow Mary gave birth through parthenogenesis she would have given birth to a girl because there would have been no genetic information 
given by the male hmm. to provide the maleness there. So which again the whole thing not falls your, apart scientifically. And, yeah. and it's not your hypothetical or plain one illusory story or explanation with another. You're literally using the verifiable data we have for this phenomena in order to infer this is what would have happened based on what we actually can know, not what we think could happen. <laughs> and this is where you really need to call out people on their nonsense. Uh, be careful, first of all, in just reading headline articles because the term virgin birth is deceptive in this. Just like when, say, for example, you hear of Egyptologists saying, oh, another crucified god was discovered in hieroglyphics. No, it means that their arms were outstretched. They're using the word crucified in order to get right. attention. Parthogenesis, and noting these points, is exclusively in creatures that lay eggs, and the fact that when this creature that was isolated from any sort of mate for 16 years discovered with a clutch of eggs, a all of the eggs were unviable, including the one that had some semblance of a developing fetus inside of it. And on top of that, the child that was born from the crocodile asexually did not survive. It wasn't viable. So note that point first. Secondly, when we're talking about this whole issue of you know, using these religious terms like, you know, there's, there's messiahs all over the place. There, there's baptisms all over the place. What they're usually saying is there was someone significant in these cultures, or this culture had access to water at some point, and so they call it baptism. When it comes to the virgin birth, when Christianity and even Islam, by the way, and Judaism are all describing these sort of phenomena, they mean a very specific thing in a very specific way. We don't just say that someone was a virgin and they gave birth, or even necessarily that someone without a mate produced a child. We're talking about a fulfillment of a very specific unique and exclusive prophecy that would right. be Israel's notification, not just that this person would go on to be a great king, but that God was coming to this world in a way unique from any other. Islam affirms this, albeit very loosely, and Judaism affirms this, at least in the Second Temple period. So when we're talking about this issue of headlines trying to manipulate people, I really hate that. Because first of all, when I'm being lied to, and I know that I'm being lied to, it's disrespectful. But if someone is lying to other people and is counting on them, not knowing the term, but concluding from the term, right. well, what does Scripture mean then? You see the problem here. This is why you need to be careful with words and being careful with headlines. If it sparks your attention, catch the point. But what does the Bible mean? What is the prophecy regarding the virgin birth? And how is it that, first of all, Mary didn't lay eggs? Yeah. She had eggs, but that's a different kind of egg. And, of course, that the conception, according to the eyewitness accounts reported by Mary in Luke chapter 1, do not fit into what you summarized already, but fitting that point with the Scripture citation, this phenomena of a clutch of unviable infants because of isolation from a mate for years, and not using material from their own bone marrow or some sort of external yeah, uh, intervention, whatever theory, yeah. all these things. What actually happened according to the reports? Because again, you're going the scientific route on this. If Mary cloned herself as a result of, <laughs> you know, being deprived of a mate apparently, and her body produced an offspring, first of all, that'd be a first for live birth, or a whole birth. But the second interesting or thing, human beings as a species, yeah, yeah that's we important. don't do that. Yeah. But the third and most important detail in this is what do we actually have as far as the data? Well, you know, the most important thing is this, you know, and, and 
the, the reason I know the word parthenogenesis isn't because I sit around uh, reading science books all day. Uh, it's because people will bring this up. They'll say, well, wasn't that really what happened with the virgin birth? Mm-hmm. It was just this natural process that happened, you know, that went on, and this explains it naturally. Well, the Bible absolutely excludes that possibility. Right at, at the get-go, uh, Matthew quotes a passage in the book of Isaiah as being fulfilled at Jesus' birth. Uh, he goes back to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 10. It says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ahaz was a king of Israel who kind of wanted to play it both ways as far as idolatry and, and uh, following the true and living God. He said, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. In other words, ask uh, a sign Ahaz something that is as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol itself. And he said, I will not ask. Uh, nor will I test the Lord. And then he said, Here now, O house of David, is it a small thing that you weary men? Will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, here we see this prediction of a virgin birth. Now, some skeptics will say, Well, you know, the word virgin there, you know, it's the word Alma, and that can mean either you know, a young lady or a virgin. The uh, technical term is Bethula. Uh, you know, why do they use Bethula and instead of Alma? Well, uh, apparently uh, the word Alma can mean a technical virgin. The translators of the Septuagint believe that. They translated this passage uh, as uh, the technical term for a virgin uh, in Greek. Parthenos, believe it or not, sounds like the same thing we've been talking about here. But also, uh, this prophecy was to be as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. Some people say, well, you know, Isaiah had a kid, and, and he was going to grow to be a certain age, and then uh, an enemy would be defeated, and that would be this great sign. Well, a kid is sort of a countdown clock to a military victory. is an interesting sign, but it isn't as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. What mm-hmm. the Bible does, it throws down the gauntlet. The virgin birth separates Jesus from anyone who ever lived, is ever living or ever will live. And it only makes sense if God is going to walk among us. Uh, He's going to have a very interesting entrance into this world. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us and for your questions. Have a great weekend. We will see you back here on Monday for more of the same. Um, Check out our Sunday services online. We'll be streaming to the same platforms. And we will see you next time. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to (laughs) questionsforhope at gmail.com. Well, I'm I'm not dealing with it. You can also find out more about our ministry at (laughs) calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.